Thank you, Kayla. That was a perfect word to begin this message today. Good morning, everybody. Come on. Good morning, everybody. There you go. Good morning to you who are joining us online. We're glad that you are here. Ah, My wife comes back from England this week. Thank you. So a little bit of trivia for you that doesn't matter, but it's important to me. About now, 46 years ago, I first set eyes on my wife. Right now. Or sometime in this this hour. I can't remember exactly when it was. Her life has not been the same, and she still thanks me to this day. (laughs) As she should. Um, So Thursday, she's back. Uh, I am absolutely open to anyone who wants to come over to my house on Wednesday and begin the cleaning project. I mean, uh, yep, uh, I don't mind. I'm humble enough to allow you to serve in in that manner. Well, this morning, we're going to deviate a little from the style that I've been using over the last few weeks. We've been in a series called Bible Peeps, looking at different characters in the Bible, kind of doing a character analysis and picking out characteristics of those people that we can apply to our lives today to help our lives be better, to help us serve Jesus better. And typically what I've done is um, I'll tell the story of that person's life, kind of dive into the scripture a little bit and cover the whole thing in one message. Today is going to be a little bit different. The, The reason I'm doing this series is I got into Gideon a little while ago, love Love the account of Gideon. I don't know, maybe a year ago I started studying it. And, and I'm one of those people that when I get into something, I can't let it go. And I'll just read over it and over it and over it and study it. And I've listened to sermons and I've read all kinds of stuff. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to do Gideon. And then it morphed into Bible peeps. And, and I've been waiting to do Gideon. So we're going to do Gideon a little bit different. I'm I'm not going to give you the big picture story. We're going to do Gideon over a couple of weeks. It was going to be a series, but we're we're going to do it over over two weeks. And we're going to get into the scripture a little bit this morning. And all we're going to do, we're not going to get deep into the story of Gideon today. I want to set the scene. I want you to get a feel for the environment that Gideon was living in. Because I found myself praying over the last week or so, God, I'm Gideon. I'm Gideon. And, and the more I read of Gideon, the more I see Gideon in me, and I see Gideon in you all as well. So we're going to do it just a, a little bit different. So, you know, the last few weeks I've said, look at the scriptures up here. If you've got your Bible today, I'm going to encourage you to, to open up your Bible. And uh, it's in Judges chapter 6 is, is where we're going to start. And like I say, it's going to be a two-weeker. Now, let me kind of put this whole Gideon thing in perspective, where, where it, it sits. I want us to get a good understanding of what he was dealing with because I think the circumstances of Gideon's life and the environment of Gideon's life is not unlike the circumstances that we're living in today. And, and like I say, maybe as we go through it, you just might see a little bit of yourself in Gideon. 
We call the era when Gideon lived the time of the judges. It spanned about 400 or so years from the time that the Israelites went into the promised land, 400 years or so until Saul became the first king of Israel. Put that in perspective, that's about the same amount of time as when the Pilgrim Fathers landed in New England to now. So that's the amount of time we're talking about for this. The book of Judges, it's dark. It's a dark book. It, it starts off not bad and it regresses and it gets darker and darker and darker as the Israelites get further and further from God. It's an interesting read. It's not a light read. It's not a fun read. It, some weird, weird stuff goes on in, in the book of Judges. So let me kind of set this place. So like I say, it's about 400 years. You, let me take a step back here. Abraham, God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, tells him to go to Canaan, promises him that this is going to be the land of your descendants. I'm giving you this land. For one reason or another, Abraham's descendants end up in Egypt. There's a famine in the land. They, they are there for 400 years in Egypt. Starts off good, then they end up in slavery as they get more powerful. The Egyptians don't like this. They enslave the Israelites. God raises up a leader, Moses. Tells Moses, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. You're going to take them to the promised land. We all know the story. They get out. They get to where the promised land is. They're unfaithful. God sends them back into the wilderness. They wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. After the 40 years, they get to the edge of the promised land. Moses dies because God says, you're not going in there. Joshua is raised up as the next leader, and he takes the Israelites into the promised land. Now, Joshua was a faithful, faithful leader. That kind of sets it up, and I want to start... Joshua is the book immediately before Judges. So I want to start by just reading the last part of Joshua, or part of the last part of Joshua. It says in Joshua 24, it says, Joshua speaking to the people. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Throw away the, the gods that Abraham's father worshipped. And you began to worship when you were in Egypt. Get rid of them and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. These are the people in the promised land right now. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And you scoot down to verse 21 and you get the people's response to, to Joshua. The people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they reply. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Now from that passage of scripture, you can see that the Israelites' ancestors worshipped foreign gods. And this was still a problem. 
they were still worshipping foreign gods. And Joshua calls them and says, if you're going to be faithful to God, then get rid of these other gods. And everybody says, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joshua was a smart guy. He understands the difference between what's in the head and what's in the heart. And he knew that what they were saying was head. You know, they, they, yeah, we, we do want to serve God. But he knew it wasn't in their hearts. And he gave them this warning. Okay, your witnesses against yourself. Should you decide not to follow God, just remember that you said that you would follow God. Let your word be your word. And what did Jesus say a thousand or so years later? Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Honor your word. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Do what you say you're going to do. Simple. But the Israelites do not honor their word. So let's dive in at Judges. We're going to go uh, from verses 1 to 24. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, for s and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, throughout the book of J Judges, you see this phrase, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the evil that they did was to turn away from God and worship other gods, the very thing that they had told Joshua they wouldn't do. They're unfaithful. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. There's their motivation. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, I always try to do this. Try and put yourself in this situation, okay? This was cruel and demoralizing behavior. So imagine that you're part of a community and, and you plant crops and you raise livestock in order to feed yourself, feed your family, feed those around you. Everybody's in it together. And all around you are, are similar communities. You're all community of communities. And you're all doing this. And you work hard and you work the land and you take care of the animals and you plan ahead. You plant enough to feed yourself now. You plant enough to feed your, your people through the winter. You work hard, and before it gets to the point where you can harvest a crop, when the lambs are still little, these oppressive people move in and destroy everything that you've done. They camp on your land. They destroy your crops, and they take your livestock. And there are so many of them, and they are so powerful all you can do is run up into the hills and hide. And you're up in the hills and you're looking down on the fertile valley where, where all of your stuff was and you can see them there. Thousands and thousands of them. And there's nothing you can do. You're not powerful enough to do anything about it. And you've got no food for today. And you've got no food 
for the winter. Eventually, your oppressors have had enough. They get up and they clear out. Somehow, you survive. Not everyone. Many starve to death. But you survive. So you go back down into the valley with some of the other people, the other survivors. Clean it up. Start to work all over again. Springtime comes. You begin your planting. The, the lambs are ready to birth and the cattle is ready to birth. And you're, you're hoping maybe this time we'll be okay. And they come in again. And they ravage your land. You have to go up in the hills again. And you're looking down and you're seeing it again. And your children are dying. Because it's the children and it's the old people who die. You survive. But the kids don't survive. The old people don't survive. The sick don't survive. And you've got no power to oppress them. And look at what it says in that verse. It says they invaded the land to ravage it. It's almost as though they don't need to do this. They have enough food in their land. They're doing this simply to be cruel to the Israelites. To demoralize the Israelites. There's some hate going on there, and they do it year after year after year. And each year you think, maybe this year. Maybe this year they won't come. And it's been seven years now. How do you feel? It's pretty miserable, and it would be absolutely demoralizing to see your old people, your children, dying, your inheritance dying, year upon year. And now the, the Israelites are so desperate that they cry out to the Lord for help. Now you might be thinking, why does God allow this cruelty to happen? Aren't they his people? Why, why doesn't he care for his people? This is the promised land. He, he promised them this land. Why does he allow this to happen? So let me explain. We're going to go a little bit deeper this morning than maybe we normally do. When the Israelites first entered the promised land, they discovered that the people who lived there worshipped a god called Baal. In fact, they had lots of Baals. Every little patch of land had a god that was a Baal. Baal originally meant owner or husband. But it had become singular as, as one god, Baal. He was the god of fertility. He was responsible for the seasons. He was responsible for the crops. He was responsible for the rain. He was responsible for, for livestock, for children, for all of, all, of, all of that stuff, the harvest. And the Canaanites, the people that were in the land, they believed in multiple gods. But most gods were gods of chaos and destruction. They were the ones who were responsible for famine. They were the ones who were responsible for natural disasters. They were the ones who were responsible for infertility. Baal was the good god of fertility who fought the bad gods. He's the one who's going to bring the rain. He's the one who's going to give us children. He's the one who's going to give us lambs. He, he's the one that's going to take care of us. He was the god of fertility. Now, he was kind of an attractive God to worship. Sexual immorality 
was part of the worship of Baal. They believed that, that, that that's why they had temple prostitutes because this would strengthen Baal because he's a god of fertility. And when he was strong, he would defeat these other kings. <laughs> Let's tell the truth. That's a very attractive faith. When, when you can minister to your base needs and it's in honor of God. Yeah, baby. You, you can see why they fell into this kind of worship. Now, God had warned them before they came into the land, you've got to eradicate the people in that land. You've got to get them out of there because if you don't, they will become a stumbling block for you. Their gods will become your gods and it's not going to go well for you. Well, they didn't get rid of these people. So now they're living in this land with these people who worship these gods. The other god that you read about at this time was, was Ashtoreth. She was the female version of Baal. You'd have a Baal altar, and then next to the Baal altar, you'd have an Ashtoreth pole. It was a phallic symbol, is what it was. And they would have ritual, sexual sacrifices in these places to, to, to please Ashtaroth and to strengthen Baal. It was very easy to get seduced into this type of worship. Now, here's what happened. The Israelites never abandoned the Lord God of Abraham, their God. After all, he was the one that brought them up out of Egypt. He was the one that rescued them. He was the one that brought them to the promised land. And, and they never completely let go of the Lord. But what they did is that they added the worship of these other gods to the worship of the God. And they, would, they had God, the Lord, there for big things, right? He's our big God. He's our powerful God. But for the everyday things, you think about this, this is a people that depended on the number of children that they had, depended upon their crops, depended upon the animals. Everyday things, they worshipped Baal and Ashtaroth. These were their everyday gods. And then when things went really south, better call on the big God. It's, it's called syncretism. It's when you believe in, in multiple different things. And it was all around them, and it was easy for them to become part of it. So verse 7, it says, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. This is the reason that God has allowed this to happen. He hasn't done this to them, but he's allowed it to happen to them. Why is that? Because they are his people and he loves them and he wants to be their God. He doesn't like sharing them with anybody or anything else. And it's very interesting, and this can easily be missed, that the point of their downfall, the point of their suffering, is the very thing that they were worshipping. 
They were worshiping these gods to bring food and to bring everything else to them. And that is the point that they suffered. You know, it's important that we understand that the Bible clearly teaches we serve a jealous God. He don't want to share us with anyone or anything else. He doesn't want to be number one in our lives, but then we have B, C, D, and E for our daily things. He loves us. He doesn't want to share us. And sometimes I believe that the reason that we find ourselves in difficult circumstances is because the Lord is trying to get our attention. To teach us to trust him. And very often it's at the point of our weakness. It's at that very point where he is teaching us the lesson. If you typically are unfaithful with your time, you'll find you never have enough time. If you're typically unfaithful with your finances, you'll find you never have enough finances. If you're unfaithful with your talents, you'll find that you're always struggling to, to do things and you don't get things done because God is trying to get your attention. He wants you to be faithful. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants every part of you. I don't think we're really unlike these Israelites. Maybe we don't have an, an altar to Baal or an Ashtaroth pole, but we do have false gods that we turn to instead of trusting God, right? We believe in God and we trust in him and we call upon him when we need him to help us out of a situation for our, but you know, very often for our day-to-day -day stuff, we have idols. Oh, I trust God. I trust my bank account more. Oh, I trust God as long as he doesn't interfere with my schedule. Oh, I trust God, but I'm going to take care of my relationships because I'm not sure God is going to take care of my relationships the way he ought to. I trust God, but there are just those needs that I need to meet in a manner Maybe God's not on board with. Got God for the big stuff. But that day-to-day -day stuff, I've got my idols for that. And the Israelites had not learned to listen and trust the Lord, and that's why they found themselves in this situation. So verse 11, now we get introduced to Gideon. <laughs> it's just an incredible passage of Scripture. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon said, say what? <laughs> the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord, if you're reading this, I want you to underline all the buts and all the ifs, okay? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, 
Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midianite. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? This is an incredible passage of scripture. I mean, if you stop and you just think about this, that Gideon would engage the angel of the Lord in a conversation in this manner is absolutely incredible to me. Now, first, it tells me that this angel doesn't look like anything out of the ordinary. Oftentimes, when you see these encounters in the Bible, people faint. Gideon didn't faint. So I'm thinking that, that this angel showed up and he looked like a normal person. But there's something about him that Gideon addresses him as my Lord, not as my Lord, but, you know, there, there's just something about this guy. He's not your ordinary guy. And I believe that Gideon thinks he's having a conversation with another man at this stage, but something's off here. And Gideon does exactly what we usually do. Why has the Lord abandoned us? Why is he allowing this to happen to us? And Gideon is completely ignorant of the fact that we just read this passage of scripture where when they cried out to God, God sent them a prophet to tell them why this is happening. You haven't listened to me. You haven't obeyed me. You've worshipped other gods. That's why this is happening. Gideon's kind of skipping over that step. I mean, we do this, don't we? We don't own up and we like to blame. And what I love about this conversation, though, the angel totally ignores it. Doesn't even address that Gideon said that. He says, the Lord has heard you cry. This is what gets me. This is what he's saying to, to, to Gideon. The Lord has heard your cry. He's answering your cry. He is coming to your aid. Oh, and by the way, Gideon, you're the answer. <laughs> Pardon me? My Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I'll be with you, and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving no one alive, leaving none alive. At that, Gideon, as soon as this, this, this person kind of identifies himself as, I am going to do these things, something begins to click in Gideon's head. It's like, okay, I don't know that this is just some ordinary guy. I, I don't know what's going on here, but now he's getting a little nervous. Gideon replies, if, but if, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Is this God? Is this God that's come to talk to me? Please do not go away until I come back and bring back my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an path of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. I love the fact, this is God, right? Hang out there for a sec, God. How long does it take Gideon to go find a goat, slaughter the goat, make the bread, 
bake the bread, come on back out, God's out there. But isn't that an incredible thing that God would be so patient with him? He knows that, that Gideon hasn't got his head around this yet. He's already told Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. You're going to do this. And, and, and Gideon's gone off to cook a goat. And God is waiting for him. He's catering to it. I wonder how long it took. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock. Gideon's getting a clue now. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Poof! Whoa. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But... God's butt now. The Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Gideon is a buttmeister. He's an ifster. And we all do this. You know, sometimes the Lord comes to us and he tells us that he wants to show himself strong in our lives. He wants to do something through us to give us an opportunity to step out in faith. I love that we, we just sang about fear. He gives us opportunity to really experience his power in our lives. What do we do? But, 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 if, if. If, if, you see, but is a lack of trust. If is a condition that you place on the situation. But, 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 but I, I don't trust. And then we look for reasons why this can't happen. Why it shouldn't happen. Well, look who I am. I can't do this. this. Circumstances are all wrong here, God. I don't have the abilities. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. Do you realize who you're talking to? Seriously, God. But, but, but. And then if God deals with those, we move from but to if. Well, if this, if that... If, if, this, if all these conditions are met, if we can eradicate faith from the situation, then maybe, Lord. But you're my God. You're my God. I believe in you, God. I trust you, God. But if... What kind of a relationship is that? Let me see. Let's do something different here. If God were to step down right now and appear right here, what title would he give you? What would he call you? 
How would he address you that would scare you to death? So I'm just Pastor Mike. I'm not God. I'm nobody. But as I walk around here, a lot of you right now are in fear. <laughs> because you're wondering if I'm going to come up and ask you to do something or whether I'm going to ask you to say something, right? And there's this, get away from me. Be gone. But if God were to show up right now and stood in front of you and he addressed you, look at me. <laughs> oh, mighty VBS teacher. Oh, mighty teacher of children. Oh, mighty youth worker. Almighty evangelist. Almighty incredible giver. Almighty faithful servant. Almighty overcomer. How would you feel? What would be the first words out of your mouth? you would go, right? Little butt motorbike. But, 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 if, 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 but, but, but. I imagine as Gideon came to terms with what just happened, absolute fear is coursing through his veins. He's just come to realize, I spoke with God. Isn't it nice now that I'm back up here? No. <laughs> And he's thinking about it. God called me mighty warrior. What does that mean for me? What's going to happen to me? And what does God say? I'm sending you. I will be with you. And you will. How would you feel if you were Gideon? You just had a little taste of it, didn't you? And that's just me on Sunday morning in church. You don't get a safer environment than this for Christians, do you? It's like, go away, Pastor Mike. If God showed up and stood before you right now and he addressed you the way that he sees you, that you can't imagine that you are that person, how do you feel? But, 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 if, if, if. And yet Gideon built an altar there and called it, the Lord is peace. You know, you can live in fear. You can live in fear of the future. You can live in fear of the unknown. You can live in fear of the known. You can live in the fear of what God might ask you to do. Or you can ask the Lord to change your heart. No more plurality. One God, no other backup system. You're my God. I trust you 
I will go your way. I will serve you. That will bring peace to your heart. I love the songs because you know what reigns in our heart right now? You felt it when I was walking around there? Fear. Wouldn't it be great if, if when we called on the Lord, it wasn't just when we were in desperate need or even when we're just going to him to thank him because he's just got us out of a situation or somebody out of us. Nothing wrong with doing that. But what if we were calling on the Lord for a change of heart, a change of attitude? You see, true peace comes only when you are nestled under the wing of our all-powerful God. When you are serving him, when you take up the battle in his name, in his power, you find peace. Peace of heart, peace of spirit. You know, God, this is what I love about this story, and, when we, and we haven't got into it yet. God's not looking for able people. He's not up there hoping that, that you know, oh man, let's look for somebody that's got these. He's not looking for able people. He's not looking for qualified people. He's not even looking for people of great faith. Jesus is the author and completer of our faith. He's looking for willing people. That's all that God is looking for is willing people. This is who you are. This is who I see you to be. Straightforward answer. Wow, God, I never saw that. But if you did, then I know it's true. And the question that God has for each one of us this morning is, are you willing? And the immediate question that comes to your mind is probably willing to do what? And the immediate answer is, you already know. Are you willing? I'm looking forward to the rest of Gideon. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks. You are a patient, loving God. And Father, we see throughout the judges how the Israelites consistently were unfaithful. They turned to other gods. They turned to other things. And Father, we turn to other things too. We don't have an altar to Baal or an Ashtaroth pole, but, but when it comes to being faithful with our money, we look at the bank account first. When it comes to being faithful with our time, we look at our schedule first. When it comes to being faithful with our talents, we start checking off what we can and can't do instead of simply saying, God, if you said it, I will do it. But you are patient with us, Father. You waited on Gideon. You waited for him to go cook a, a goat and bake bread. But I do know that your patience does not last forever. And you will do what needs to be done for us to get your attention, for you to get our attention. Father, all week I've just been praying as I've been reading through Gideon. I've just been praying, you know, I'm Gideon. I know there are times in my life that, then, that I shrink back in fear that I look to me rather than looking to you. 
And Father, I'm sure that's the same for each and every person in this room here this morning. Father, give us the courage to trust in you and to be willing. Father, change our hearts and change our minds that we would be the people that you've called us to be and do the things that you've called us to do. Father, right now, I pray as, as you are here in this room with us, stir our spirits. Father, show us those areas of our lives where we have allowed fear to reign. And where there is fear, Father, may we just open up that door to you. And give it to you. For you are our God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen.